freedom oh freedom oh freedom over me and before i be a slave i'll be buried in my grave and go home to my lord and be free oh freedom Thank you so much, Kyra Jewell, for sharing that. I wish we had more programs that began with, with that glorious sound, the joyous music. Welcome, everyone. My name is William Metalglass. I serve as Director of Studies here at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies in Barry, Massachusetts, on the traditional homelands of the Nipmuc Nation where there are still Nipmuc people as our neighbors. 
I should say that Melanie is Melanie Harris is a few minutes late. She got caught up in the travel snafus that are besetting many people today, and she should be joining us in a few minutes. And so I'm going to wait a little while to introduce Kyra Jewell and Melanie. And I would like to give a little bit of a sense of our evening together and how it will unfold. First, though, let me say that if you would like to have closed captions and get the text in real time, if you look at the bottom of your Zoom bar, you can see there's a lit, there's a, it says live transcript, and just above that it says CC. And you can press that button if you would like to see the text in real time. Um, so I personally am informed by multiple religious traditions, and I think many of us are, maybe the traditions we were born into or traditions we have explored, especially if we're Buddhists. And tonight with Kyra Jewell and Melanie, we'll be having a conversation exploring the idea of freedom, the experience of freedom, the aspiration for freedom from the perspective of three different traditions, African-American protest songs, Christian mysticism, and Buddhist traditions. We will begin with a meditation that Kyra Jewell will lead us in, and then we're hoping that Melanie will have arrived fairly shortly thereafter. And then we'll have about 45 minutes or half an hour of a conversation with Kyra Jewell and Melanie, and then we will open it up for everyone to pose questions. And to pose a question, you can just, again, go to the bottom of your Zoom screen and um, pose a question in the chat. Tonight, we'll be prioritizing questions from BIPOC participants. So if you are a BIPOC participant, please feel free to let us know at the beginning of your questions so we can attend to those first. And if you are having technical difficulties at any point, please feel free to send an email to contact at buddhistinquiry.org. And I am very grateful to my colleague, Jen, you can see it up there with her namaste, her namaste. And um, Jen is the one making all the logistical things work out tonight, which makes it possible for us to have this conversation. So thank you, Jen. So Kyra Jewell, why don't you take it from here? Thank you so much, William and Jen, everyone at BCBS. I'm really grateful to be able to share this space with Melanie and with each of you. And so I'll invite us to take some time to feel ourselves wherever we are. Maybe before you close your eyes, if you do that when you meditate, you could just uh, take a moment to orient yourself in the space that you're in. 
Are you looking around you and noticing what's behind you and what's above you and what's below you? And just allowing your body to claim, claim your belonging in this space. By also taking it in with your eyes. Also, just want to make sure you all can hear me well. Does the sound clear? Okay, great. So I invite us to feel our seat in the chair or cushion or couch whatever we're seated on. And to allow the weight of our body to release as fully as it can onto this support. Taking a deeper breath, perhaps, and on the exhale, allowing the body to release tension, and really be received on this part of the earth where you find yourself. Here and now, we offer ourselves space and time. So just seeing if your body wants to take up a little more space. What would that mean? for you, for your body, to be as fully at ease, to be as truly majestic as it is. This miracle of a human body Allowing yourself space.
space to breathe. So take in the full length of your inhale to enjoy the full release of your exhale. Space to extend your spine and allow the shoulders to release down the back. Space to soften the face and the jaw, the tongue, the eyes. Space for the chest and the belly to be massaged and rocked by your breathing. Space to know yourself as rooted in the earth. And extending towards the sky. unfolding and unfurling whatever parts of yourself you have had to diminish. giving yourself space for whatever is alive in you right now. Curiosity or anxiety. Sadness, joy, fatigue, energy.
discomfort, ease. Honoring whatever that is that's here in your mind, in your heart, in your body. Breathing with it to help offer it more space. Space is freedom. We'll close with the sound of the bell. The sound of spaciousness and freedom. You're with us. Thank you. So, um, to, to invite your voice in, Melody, I'm wondering maybe, um, maybe, maybe I'll give you a very, very brief introduction. Um, Melanie I, and I met several years ago at a gathering devoted to stories of women in the Buddhist, in the Buddha's life. And um, I love connecting with Melanie. Melanie brings together a deep, many-year engagement with Buddhist practice, but is also deeply rooted in Christian traditions and also dear to my heart, does work in environmental areas and has written a lot on eco-womanism and so brings together many of the things that 
I think are of utmost importance today. Um, and comes as a practitioner and also a scholar, which is also very dear to my heart. So, um, Melanie, just to invite your voice in here, I'm wondering if you would be willing to start by sharing how some of the traditions that we are exploring together tonight, African-American protest songs, Christian mysticism, and Buddhist traditions, how they interweave into your life and how they've appeared in your life by way of an introduction to, to who you are. Mm, thank you very much. Thank you, William, and thank you to the Bari Center. It is such a gift to be here with all of you, and special thanks to Kyra Jewell for this gift to be able to teach and lead and guide together. We have been connected for a long time, and to be able to find yourself in a friendship sisterhood circle for that long and to be meeting in this way again is so, so deeply appreciated in my own heart. So I'm very grateful. One of the gifts of being able to tap into the moment um, of where we have been in meditation is the gift of really being fully present into the depth of freedom that spaciousness can give us. And it's from that space that I really come in most clearly, hopeful, um, into who I am and how these traditions kind of meet inside of me, but also as they are um, echoed in my own path and journey. And that's through the gift of freedom and freedom songs, really, that were taught to me very early on in my own uh, girlhood, growing up in the Christian church and the Christian tradition, carrying forth the songs of freedom from the Southern Freedom Movement, also known as the Civil Rights Movement. So I enter in there, quite honestly, in the spaciousness of song and being. Oh, freedom. space of freedom articulated beautifully through the African-American spiritual tradition and the soul tradition of Black peoples across the diaspora is this similar kind of spaciousness and freedom of soul and peace that I have come to in my own Buddhist practice. 
for many years, that was surprising to me because I began my journey as an ordained Christian minister and studying at Isle of School of Theology in Denver, Colorado. But my pastor, Jay Langston Boyd Jr., at that time in Denver, Colorado, did not realize is that the depth of being that I would be able to share with Dr. Vincent Harding, who was then at Iowa School of Theology, would really carry me all of my life. I am grateful that Dr. Harding was inclusive enough of a kind of mystic Christianity, but also of a mystic spirituality that was deeply, deeply influenced by Eastern tradition and in some ways, Buddhism specifically. It is his wife, Rosemary Harding, who really deepened in her own study, um, not just of Buddhist practice, but really healing practices from a number of different indigenous religious traditions. Those hands, Rosemary's hands and the love of Dr. Vincent Harding opened up for me an opportunity to lay down all of the theological tracks that I had learned as a Christian theologian at Isle of School of Theology and to take on the essence, the feeling, the sound of freedom. Instead of trying to find the words from Karl Barth and Tillich and Reinhold Niebuhr of how to explain that kind of freedom, they introduced the reality that I could bring my own voice, my mother's voice, my grandmother's voice, and that those voices were just as important as any other voices in the study of religion and theology. The setting of freedom then opened up an opportunity for me to engage Christianity from a different perspective. And that opening, I think, has been really grounding for me in terms of opening this circle of Christian mysticism, Christian theology, Buddhist practice, and environmental thought and studies. Thank you, William. Thank you, Melanie. That was such a lovely beginning. Mm. Um, Kyra Jewell, would you be up for sharing a little bit about how these different traditions live in you and how they have formed you and the role they've played in your life? Yes. And um, I just have to, to offer this a cover of a book by Dr. Vincent Harding, um, Martin Luther King, The Inconvenient Hero. Um, Melanie and I, I guess we first met because of Dr. Harding. Is that right? In, at Eilif in the, in the 90s. <laughs> 25 years ago or more um, and uh, and he has also been a really uh, very dear and important mentor to me um, 
but I'll, I would have to go back to my uh, early childhood to begin to answer this question because um, being born into an interracial family um, where my dad, as a white southerner from Texas, my mom, a black woman from uh, the west side of Chicago, um, really, um, I think, had had freedom on their minds when they were starting an interracial family. And my dad had um, been coming from the experience of the civil rights movement, organizing white Southerners to resist segregation. Um, and so I grew up in, in and around the, this still very warm light coming out of the civil rights movement. So going on marches and, and going to SCLC conventions as a child and sitting a, across from C.T. Vivian's desk and John Lewis, um, this kind of um, having Coretta King kind of be a motherly figure for me and Andrew Young and his wife, Jean, braided my hair, took, <laughs> took, me, took me in, cared for me in different ways. So, but the music of, of that, um, of that, um, that protest tradition was there uh, in my childhood and listening to Mahalia Jackson and uh, and there was so much that was communicated in those songs. Um, um, and in that Christian freedom tradition as well. So, so I, I grew up in a Christian family religious order, um, which um, was based on a monastic framework, but it was for families with children and couples and single people. And the purpose of living very simply and in this very spiritual way, we'd wake up at five or something very early and go to daily office at you know, 5.30, 6 in the morning. Um, and there was always singing, and there was always uh, a f a f an intentional framing for our time together as a group. So you'd sit down for a meal and you'd have to answer a question. Uh, about what, what your intention was, <laughs> um, where you were in your, in your journey somehow. So even as children. So that kind of, um, it was the, the, the effort of that community. It was the Ecumenical Institute or the Institute of Cultural Affairs, as it became known later, was really to renew the church and so there were human and village development projects that were set up in every time zone on the planet um, to, um, to realize people's visions in those villages and slums and you know, Native American reservations and um, 
Latin American uh, villages and urban areas to realize what their vision was for, for freedom, for what would be um, beautiful for their communities to have, whether it was a women's cooperative or a school or a bridge or a road or a well, an irrigation system. So that was this, the Christian kind of force of my childhood. I lived in that community till I was 14 and um, then found myself um, quite perplexed living in um, consumerist society. <laughs> and, and I think from that point on was really searching for a community and a spiritual direction for my life. And so after college, landed in Plum Village, this monastery of Thich Nhat Hanh's, and, um, and felt very deeply spoken to by his message and the framework of the community wasn't that different from, you know, the schedule I had been brought up in as a child in this Christian community. Um, so soon after that, um, became a nun, and um, and the first encounter I had with Thai's, um, we call Thich Nhat Hanh Thai, it's the teacher in Vietnamese. His main assistant, Sister Chung Kong, uh, in our first conversation, uh, when I mentioned, she asked, she was asking me about where I came from and my my family background, and I mentioned my dad had worked with Dr. King, and um, she uh, she was really appreciative of that because Thai and Dr. King had a very deep connection um, around the ending the war in Vietnam. So, um, so there was this continuation from my past now into my uh, entering this Buddhist community. Um, and I was just recently, I'll just close uh, this part uh, sharing that I re recently read um, a talk that Thai gave in, a, in Thailand, in, a, in our monastery there, in the meditation hall that was called uh, Space Beyond Space, the name of the meditation hall. And he started off saying, you know, the whole, the whole path of a practitioner is to create space, is to create space for ourselves, to create space for those we love to create space for our, our practice, space being freedom, being um, the room to exist fully as we are. And that really was my experience uh, of walking in, in, in his steps as a teacher and living in the community was really um, being given that and learning to offer that to myself, to, to those I love, to, to the community. To um, allow more possibilities to exist rather than less. 
in, in any given situation, in any given interaction. Um, and um, yeah. And, and this and space for our ancestors as well. And so reclaiming, um, touching, you know, this, this power of song and, and the power of the voice. There, were, there was a lot of gospel singing in Plum Village. <laughs> in our Buddhist community, we did a lot of um, harmony and, and singing Sweet Honey and the Rock songs in, in harmony. Anyway, there was that, that sense of this is something that liberates. And so we, we did that as often as we could. Thank you so much, Erijul. Um, I didn't realize that you also had a connection to Vincent Harding. Um, and at the end there, you were mentioning ancestors and Dr. Harding emphasized the power of ancestral connection, the spiritual power, the power of solidarity with ancestral connection. And I'm wondering, Melanie, if you'd be willing to speak about that a little, what, what role does ancestral connection play for you? Maybe, maybe say a little bit about how Dr. Harding thought of it and for anybody who may not be familiar with it. And then maybe a little bit about how that plays out in your own spiritual practice. Thank you. The gift of having the connection with Dr. Harding uh, that we share is a gift that can be shared with all of us gathered here and is in its very being all of the time, everywhere. I have learned a new way of understanding it through the gift of Buddhist practice and the naming of spiritual benefactors. And so in the practice, it's very um, common to be able to ground yourself, especially when we're feeling unsettled or uh, not at ease, to ground yourself in the depth of the memory and the feel of love that was shared with you and that was um, given to you by someone who loved you deeply. In some cases, that being may be present. And in many cases, that being may have transitioned on or passed away. A spiritual benefactor in the way that, that I certainly hold it in my own practice is often that. It is the songs of the ancestors, the love of the ancestors, the strength of the ancestors who hold us and in holding us know that the freedom is also being expanded so that every time that we breathe out and inhale, we are breathing the breath of the ancestors. We are breathing the freedom of the ancestors um, bigger and bigger and bigger. And that vibration indeed has a spiritual energy to be able to transform. This understanding that 
I have learned is deeply, of course, influenced by Vincent Harding, but I think also deeply in, influenced by Buddhism and Buddhist thought. So there are echoes often and when I read um, pieces every step or when I hear uh, recordings of Thich Nhat Hanh, um, there are deep echoes to the kind of ways in which I have been taught about spiritual benefactors, both from this part of my journey, but also from my journey as a scholar in Black religion and thinking more deeply about the African diaspora, the remnants um, certainly of the transatlantic slave trade that many enslaved Africans brought with them. Um, including their religiosity and their connection, not just to earth, but also to their own ancestors. So then as a scholar, as I engage even social justice or environmental justice, for example, I know that my work is actually a continuation of the work of justice that so many generations of peoples have done before I even came. Because I'm a person of African descent, I deeply find the indigenous African religious traditions to be deeply informative for how I imagine my spiritual benefactors. Some of them I know because they were a part of my own life journey, but many of them I do not know. And so that the singing and the spirituals and the echoes and really the embodiment into that sense of freedom or spaciousness allows me to deepen or reconnect, especially to the spiritual energy or ancestral energy that I did not know in my own, this part um, of my life. I'll say a little bit more about spiritual ancestors in that it opens up, I think for us um, almost theoretically, but also I think actually um, and practically the kind of spaciousness for us to lay down some of the boundaries that we have in religion and religiosity. This is one of the gifts um, of Black and Buddhists. This is one of the gifts of so many scholars and so much scholarship right now, really engaging African-Americans in Black practice of Buddhism, Black's practice of Buddhism, looking at the gift of pastoral care, such as Cheryl's work who's with us tonight, and also really looking really deeply at the kind of ways that that healing energy is also a part of an ancestral path of healing and freedom. Tapping into that kind of healing, I believe, is deeply um, healing for taking down some of these boundaries between Buddhism, Christianity, Condomble, Santeria, um, there is a way in which we actually open up to the healing balm that might be possible for the earth and possible for ourselves, regardless of what the religious boundaries might be. And if we can get to that space, um, then as a scholar, we might call those approaches comparative religious or interfaith or intra-religious or inter-religious but we may actually experience it as freedom. That, um, that the, re the reality of those openings, um, that there are so many different pathways that actually we can experience intra 
um, and so many different pathways to freedom that we might be able to experience, even in the combination, variety of different ways of combining them, I think is really healthy for the earth, but also healthy for the human being, because it does allow for this um, flow or fluidity. Um, one of the gifts that I've been able to encounter is the work of Alice Walker, and not just as um, someone who's a deep meditator and a deep practitioner of meditation, but also someone who has been honest about her own blood and honest about her own spirituality. And that for her also, someone who worked with Vincent Harding and certainly worked very closely with King and so many um, in the civil rights movement, there were some of those Christian frameworks that simply did not fit the vision of freedom and the vision of the beloved community. And some of those free, some of those frameworks were based on sexism. Some of them were based on patriarchy. And those parts of Christianity, Alice Walker had to let go of. And because of the time and the season that that meant for her, finding another way. So that opening, I think, for her from Christianity then into an understanding of her own Native American ancestry, part Cherokee, but then also being open to this deep communion with earth that really shaped her as a very young girl. And coming up with the language then to be able to frame her own understanding of her grandmother's wisdom that came from the earth, her mother's prayers, outside of the Christian framework, shows this, in, this grand um, scope of what's possible with a kind of fluid spirituality. It is important, obviously, to honor the traps of appropriation in anyone's particular tradition. Um, I think in my own practice, it's been important to study Buddhism and to read with others. And so I've been very deeply blessed to be able to walk in these processes with Charles Hallisey and Janet Geitzel and many others at Harvard Divinity School um, with Cheryl Giles and so many um, who have opened the doors of their own knowledge, but also their hearts about Buddhism to someone who was unknowing, but certainly needed and certainly had some echoes um, of Buddhist meditation and practice in my own heart and life. The humility that um, is often required for us as thinking beings to dive into a tradition or a circle that we do not know is really important and it leads, I think, to a sense of vulnerability and the ability to be vulnerable that can be nurtured um, by the right community and the right people. And in my life path around my own spirituality, that's what's happened. I've been nurtured to be able to ask different questions and also to be able to sit uh, with my own belief system, the parts that have not been helpful and to allow them to examine them, but also to allow them to fall away. Um, and then in similar to Alice Walker, to really take deeper root in the voices that have held, not just me, but held peoples um, for generations and to really begin to imagine um, as Celie does in the color purple, the glory and the feel and the touch 
of another kind of divine. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melanie. Kyra Jewell, do you wanna explore some of this question about what ancestral connection might mean in your practice? Um, Sure. Um, yeah, it was wonderful to, to listen to you, Melanie. Um, I, I, I think of the um, delineation of ancestors in the Buddhist tradition um, particularly of Plum Village, of being um, blood ancestors, ancestors of our family line, as well as spiritual ancestors, as well as land ancestors. So the, the ancestors who have built up the land that we um, have been able to be nourished by. Um, and um, just the um, the role of the church in my um, mother's line um, as a as a as a sustaining presence the black church um, And um, learning that my great grandmother, who I got to know uh, for a, oh, quite a while, she was lived to be a hundred and one. Um, but that you know, she sang in the choir of her church, and there was an organ in uh, my grandmother's home where she lived, where my mom lived too, um, where you know there would. Not much when I was growing up, but I guess earlier they would be singing and playing around the organ. Um, but I know that I, I when I, I, I had learned the piano when I was younger, and then I stopped and I forgot. So I taught myself to play again when I was a nun. So we had a piano in the meditation hall, and I asked my mom to send me. Um, spirituals, you know, music for spirituals. And, um, and I taught myself how to play three of these songs. Um, um, Precious Lord, take my hand, it's one of them. Um, Abide with me is another. And I come to the garden alone. And then I learned from my mom, I didn't know this, but um, that I come to the garden alone was a favorite of my great grandmother's. So I somehow honed in on a song that was really meaningful to her. Um, I 
but I, I um, have really benefited from a practice in the Plum Village tradition of connecting to ancestors, the touching the earth practice of uh, seeing our ancestors in us, their, their uh, skill and also their suffering and really laying ourselves on the earth, forehead on the earth, all of our limbs on the earth. And seeing that we are a continuation of our ancestors, we don't exist separately, that we're just part of a river and we flow into our descendants as well. And so um, pondering what does it mean to really um, take my inheritance from my ancestors and make it grow the beauty that they passed on to me how do i really nourish that and pass it on and how do i transform you know the suffering and not pass that on like you mentioned about alice walker melanie it's really beautiful like there were there was the nourishment but then there were the things that didn't need to be continued because they caused suffering um, one of the things that I am also really struck by when I think about um, my spiritual ancestors, especially um, Dr. King's sermons, which often um, really galvanized uh, Negro spirituals, as they were called then. Um, as I as I listened to him in his speeches, I, I I've had moments where I thought, you know, these spirituals are like time capsules. They they were, you know, they had this meaning for the enslaved peoples that created them in the 1800s or 70. 1800s, they were a certain kind of, maybe also double meaning. One was a kind of on the surface meaning. Okay, I'll, I'll be free when I go to heaven. But there was a, a under the surface meaning of, um, of being subversive to this oppressive system as well. Um, and we know that like, people working on the Underground Railroad would sing these songs, wade in the water as code teachings, as code words, language to get people to move and to, to hide what they were doing. But, you know, those who needed the message got it loud and clear. And so, you know, so there was this meaning that the spirituals had in that time but there was this other meaning that they had in the 20th century, or perhaps even now in the 21st century, that, um, that they were just waiting for the right watering to sprout into that new meaning, and that how powerful the words were. I just want to read um, one of these speeches that I, I mean, a little part of it that mentions one of the spirituals. Um, this is from Dr. King's um, 
speech, I think it's 1965, right as the Voting Rights Act came into being. There's just a very small part of it where he quotes a, a spiritual. He says, there's nothing wrong with marching in this sense. The Bible tells us that the mighty men of Joshua merely walked about the walled city of Jericho and the barriers to freedom came tumbling down. I like that old Negro spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. In its simple yet colorful depiction of that great moment in biblical history, it tells us that Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. Up to the walls of Jericho they marched, spear in hand. Go blow them ram horns, Joshua cried, cause the battle am in my hand. So he goes on to say, these words I have given you just as they were given us by the unknown, long dead, dark skinned originator. Some now long gone black bard bequeathed to posterity these words in ungrammatical form, yet with emphatic pertinence for all of us today. The battle is in our hands and we can answer with creative nonviolence the call to higher ground to which the new directions of our struggle summons us. The road ahead is not altogether a smooth one. There are no broad highways that lead us easily and inevitably to quick solutions, but we must keep going. So this, that's an ancestral transmission right there from our spiritual ancestors, our land ancestors. Some. Some deep wisdom was in our ancestors who were enslaved that we were going to need this in some other fashion, you know, a century or more later. And, um, and, and Dr. King had a real genius for pulling that out in, in many of his sermons. Um, and I'll just tell one, one last story about Howard Thurman, which, um, uh, my my partner, my husband, has been opening up the world of, of this amazing ancestor to me. Um, we were in Florida, uh, not far from Daytona Beach, visiting his parents, and we and he said, "Let's go up to Daytona Beach, where Howard Thurman was born and is, was raised." And uh, there's a there's a house that exists honoring honoring him. They have events there. So we, uh, we got out of the, the car and we walked into the yard and we found this one oak tree. We just thought, well, let's, let's sit under this oak tree. And then, and then Adam found this, uh, these words of Howard Thurman, which he is really um, a mystic. We've been talking about the mystical traditions of Christianity, Buddhism, earth-centered, earth-based practices. So he says, um, he's talking about his childhood. He said, eventually I discovered that the oak tree and I had a unique relationship. I could sit my back against its trunk and feel the same peace that would come to me in my bed at night. I could reach down in the quiet places of my spirit take out my bruises and my joys, unfold them and talk about them. I could talk aloud to the oak tree. 
and know that I was understood. It too was part of my reality, like the woods, the night, and the pounding surf, my earliest companions giving me space. And so we were under this oak tree and we were, there were a couple oak trees in the yard. And so we were meditating as he was, would have meditated under his oak tree. And then just, just sort of for fun, I was like, I wonder if this was his oak tree. And Adam, with this quote, there was a picture of Howard's Oak is what it's called in the picture. And, and we, we stepped back from our tree and we looked at the picture and we realized it was the same tree of several trees in this yard. Anyway, just a, a really beautiful experience of communing with this ancestor under the same tree that he would sit under as a boy and talk to. And what a gift um, uh, this ancestor's life is uh, to all of us and um, very much to me. Thank you, Kyra Jewel. That's a, such a beautiful story. So we are going to transition to opening up questions. And everybody should feel free to pose a question in the chat. And as Jen just noted, um, if you're BIPOC and you pose a question, please put BIPOC at the beginning so we can prioritize those. We only have about 25 minutes left, and that means that we won't be able to get through too many questions. However, um, I want you to know that in about two months, September 23rd to September 26th, Kyra Jewell and Melanie will be co-leading a retreat at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies called Finding Steadiness in Times of Trouble, a Buddhist Christian BIPOC retreat. And so if these themes are inviting to you, um, I hope you will. Yes, Jen just put a link in the chat um, if you're interested. Um, so I have more questions, but um, I'm also hoping that others have questions too. Please don't feel bashful. Um, and I'm happy to be patient and wait a little while for a few questions to arise.
maybe people are like me and have so enjoyed just listening to the two of you talk. Um, okay. We have a question. So, um, <clears throat> may, there are a couple of questions that came in, um, and maybe some of them can be combined. For example, um, well, one question is about O oh, Freedom, which was first recorded nearly 100 years ago. And the question is, how does freedom shift or change through time and space, enabling healing and wellness for these times? And I'm wondering if I don't want to push it too much, but because both of you, Kyra Jewell and Melanie, have done a lot of work in environmental issues, and um, for both of you, that is a kind of central theme. And you've both talked about touching the earth, about sitting by the oak tree and Melanie, all your work with connecting with the earth and eco-womanism. Maybe you can address um, the second question. Also, is there a role that working with the more than human world with environmentalism, how did that come into your practice? Um, okay, thank you. Thank you so much for the question. It's a beautiful question. And thank you, William, for the um, opening to engage environmental thought and environmental movement. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by the second question, honestly, in part because it was the practice of sky yoga that first opened me up to the recognition of oneness Um between the sky and me, or the environment and me, or the tree and me. And this is such a very easy practice um, to be able to commune with the sky. It's a recognition um, in the way that it was taught to me. Um, one literally you know, closes the eyes in being surrounded in a peaceful space, a quiet space outside, and then noticing and just kind of falling into a meditative state, opening the eyes and noticing that rebirthing of the moment that happens in us as we see the sky for the first time. That moment um, is, I think, a glimpse or, and in some cases, an actual experience of Buddha nature, of being able to um, recognize one's own being in the being of the sky, in the being of all of earth around oneself. The literary artist Alice Walker so beautifully crafts this in this meeting of nature and the meaning of oneness in this exchange that Celia and Shug have in the color purple, whereby Shug looks at the color purple and is able to feel the resonance of the color purple and opens up this entire spiritual imagination for Seeley that it's not the Bible and it's not the words and it's not the backbiting in the church or the gossip in the pews that is God, but that the divine is in the essence of being, the essence of the color purple, the essence of flower and trees. 
and of course in the color purple and not just in the writing but also in the broadway musical uh, celia is able to recover herself from multiple traumas um sexual trauma but also emotional trauma um in part because she's able to shift into a deep awareness um, of the sameness, the gift of being um, that she sees in nature. That oneness, I think, coming into the recognition that we are all one is one of the doors into doing environmental justice work. Um, certainly eco-womanist spirituality us opens us up to this. Uh, one of the reasons why I feel eco-womanist spirituality is such an open but important door to walk through is because it really does begin with the spirit. It begins with a kind of um, spiritual awakening as a space of foundation rather than just a pre purely theoretical um, framing or understanding or even a scientific framing or understanding one of the things that we are uh, really recognizing in climate change and just climate work is that many people will change their hearts and their minds by feeling or being able to commune with the earth or being able to connect with the earth and thereby realizing the, the disadvantage um, that we are putting other generations in um, as we make different decisions, as we and decide not to um, make change. So I think it's this communing then this ability to be able to have a spiritual relationship with the earth, to be able to understand one's spiritual relationship with the earth. And literally in some cases, just asking oneself, when did I connect to the earth? Um, what is my e ego story or my ego memory? Um, these kind of first methodological questions are often the practical way in from a method of eco-womanism that help people to then be able to imagine or understand more deeply their own spiritual connection to the earth. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melanie. <clears throat> Kyra Jewell, do you want to explore this? Sure. Um, maybe I can speak to the first question on how freedom shifts and changes throughout uh, space and time. Um, and just to, to say one thing to what you shared so beautifully, Melanie, the when you talked about Alice Walker, I was also feeling Zora Neale Hurston wanted to be here with us in this uh, conversation with her book, uh, her amazing novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God, and that scene, I can't remember the name of the um, main protagonist, but um, where she's under the pear tree that's in full blossom, that scene will always stay with me, this really profound um, moment of interbeing that you described with sky yoga, where she is watching the, the, the flowers blossom and the bees and, um, and knowing herself to really be uh, a sensual and alive and earth being. Um, that's a, such a beautiful, uh, yeah, beautiful story and beautiful scene of, of uh, 
connecting to the, to the wonder of life, seeing ourselves mirrored in that. Um, so in terms of how, how freedom shifts and changes, um, Um, it's, it is a, oh, Janie, Janie, thank you, is the, the character, thank you. Um, it would be nice to be able to say it's very different that, you know, in the time of slavery, there was a, a special, you know, a certain kind of basic freedom that was being um, yearned for. Um, but it's, it's, uh, there are definitely ways in which that um, we can't take those gains for granted even now. Um, with uh, with all the dangers that come with being uh, someone of Black or African ancestry in so many places, um, and all of the deprivations, um, not, not only for um, BIPOC, people of color, but also for women, also for um, those who are marginalized in some other ways. Um, we, we see our freedoms being encroached upon every time they're, <laughs> they come about, they get, uh, they get challenged. And that's really uh, happening now. Um, and, um, and of course, it's a very different world than it was hundred years ago or 200 years ago. Um, and freedom does have a different um, meaning in, in, in many ways. Um, I think what I am struck by in so many examples of, of very uh, strong and um, inspiring um, ancestors and, and people living currently is the way that even in times of great physical constraint uh, that people can find a very profound sense of freedom interiorly and that um, that ultimately no matter what other people see you as or treat you as, if you see yourself as a free person, then that's what you are. You know, and so the ultimate freedom is um, not being enslaved by your reactivity, by your um, um, by the illusion of separateness. Right? What you were speaking to, Melanie, of this profound sense of oneness. 
And um, I had a chance to, to visit South Africa some years ago um, with my father, with another nun when I was a nun. We offered retreats in Botswana and South Africa, but we got to visit a prison um, near uh, Cape Town. And the inmates had, um, it, it was still, uh, the HIV AIDS epidemic was uh, still quite serious. And they, a group of them decided they wanted to start a garden to provide extra nourishment for their um, fellow inmates who were, you know, hospitalized because of HIV. So they started growing vegetables. They got permission to do that. And, and then um, they made a connection with uh, a group that was caring for orphans of, um, of uh, their parents who had passed away from HIV. So they started to grow more vegetables so they could offer them to these children. And then they asked for sewing machines so that they could cut down their adult clothes to the size of these children so that they could clothe the children. And then they started every month to have um, a little party where these orphans could come to the prison and the men in this group would care for them and they would eat together and they had a chance to kind of express their father, fatherly instincts with these young people. This was all completely from them, things that they were motivated to do um, to offer service to those who were suffering. And so we went in and we got to talk to them. And they were, they were Christian and so we, we had some interesting conversations about we were very Buddhist-looking, shaved heads, brown robes. Um, but, um, but I really experienced them as being free people, the way that they related to their lives with this, what can I do to, to offer love, to offer care? And that, that wasn't the mentality of someone who was imprisoned, right? So, so I think the, yeah. And that, that sense of freedom, I think you can find throughout time and space, you know, where people are really undergoing very great deprivation and, and um, yeah, dehumanization can still claim for themselves their own, um, humanity and their own inner freedom. You know, that's what allowed Frederick Douglass or Sojourner Truth to come out of the experience of slavery. It's very um, powerful, visionary beings. Thank you. So it is almost time to end, and there were a few questions that came in about recommendations for people either of you might be listening to these days who are contemporary artists um, who are carrying on this tradition in a soulful, meaningful way. And maybe we could have a really quick um, 
really quick response. Deborah, I see your hand is up um, in the on the Zoom. Did you have a question you wanted to pose? Or maybe not. No, okay. Um, and um, there was also a question, if you could give a really quick response about someone who is white, who facilitates meditation and likes to draw on a range of songs, but wants to be sensitive to issues of appropriation and how to you have any thoughts about using some of the songs that are in the African-American protest tradition, African-American spirituals. And if, um, Melanie, you're nodding your head and it sounds like you may have something to say. And I'm wondering if you could speak briefly to, to those two questions before we do the final things to wrap up. Thank you. The wisdom that I will share came from my teacher, Vincent Harding, and that was to always share the history of the spirituals, even as you share the song and the music of them, to provide at least enough orientation for people to recognize that the music that they're hearing and listening to is not does not exist just in this moment as a listening exercise, but that it is a living, breathing organism and has deep, deep ancestral roots. And that, and he was a historian. Um, so it makes sense that he would say to tell the story, but as much as you can to provide some context um, before playing the, the song. One of the gifts I've um, deeply met with uh, white guides or white um, meditation guides in particular, working with BIPOC peoples, but also working in anti-racist um, conversations, is to also take on the challenge and to see if it fits, to also name your own social location and the fact that you do not want to appropriate this own, your this work, um, but that you also recognize that there is some liberation power, not just for you, but particularly for peoples of color um, at times. Um, but sometimes, particularly I find with white colleagues who are meditation guides, it becomes essential for people of color to hear the white person name themselves and their awareness of their whiteness as an ally um, for the persons of color then to be able to connect, ah, this is a, this is a space where I can feel safe. This is a person who knows that they are white and knows that there is a lot of um, racial context to this space and is also um, open enough, wise enough, and um, astute enough to guide us all into practice of spaciousness. Thank you so much, Melanie. Um, that's very helpful. Um, I wanted to say a little bit about Tana, <clears throat> which is the Buddhist practice of generosity. Our teachers at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies are not contracted. The Kyra Jewel and Melanie have offered their presence and their wisdom this evening freely. And over the course of the last few thousand years, this has been a practice 
at the heart of Buddhist traditions where um, Jen was just sending me a chat, Melanie, about your use of the word guide versus teachers. I, I really love that too, um, where our guides in Buddhist traditions have been supported by the community. Um, and it's both an act of generosity to meet the real needs that people have, the needs for food and housing and clothing and um, health insurance in this world that is dominated by capitalism and we still have to pay for things. And also as a joyous offering to those who inspire us to support them as, a, as an expression of our own hearts and also as a relinquishment for, you know, from things that we might cling to. Um, it's an opportunity to um, having our own sense of freedom by expressing our generosity. That's why it's the first virtue of the bodhisattva, the figure who is meeting the needs of others while meeting their own deepest needs. Um, Jen just put a link, if you are interested, to make an offering to Kyra, Jewel, and Melanie. There's a link in the chat. And if you are registered for this event, we will send you a link to the recording and also a link to the um, to the Donna button to make an offering. And obviously this is freely offered and there's no pressure. We're all in different financial situations. And in Buddhist contexts, if one doesn't have much, it may not be appropriate to, to give too much um, financially. One can give in many, many other ways. And I imagine Melanie and Kyra Jewel would appreciate those ways as much as anything, even more so. Um, another form of dana, as Jen is pointing out, is giving us some feedback on how things worked or if you have other suggestions for programs. And Melanie, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I so loved hearing you sing when you first joined us. And I'm wondering, and Kyra Jewell and I were chatting about this, so this is not just me saying this. Um, and I imagine I speak on behalf of everyone. Um, if you would be willing to close this evening singing either the same song or a different song, whatever you would like to share with us from mm -hmm. the ancestral connections to us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, and before you do, let me just remind everyone one more time that um, September 23rd to 26th, this amazing opportunity to be with these two remarkable human beings. Um, and um, there's the link in the chat again. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. And thank you, Kyra, Jewel, and Melanie. And over to you, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, William, and everyone at the Bari Center. And thank you, Kyra Jewel. Thank you. Deep My home is over joy. 
May freedom be in you this evening. May freedom be in all you touch and see. May freedom be in all this evening. May we be open to see.
very deep gratitude to everyone and to everyone who wants to know. Thank you. Deep gratitude. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.